Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve. Hello, my name is Sherry Budziak, and I'm the host of the Association 4.0 podcast. I am also the co-founder of .org Community and founder of, and CEO of .org Source, a consultancy to associations. Today, my guest is Adele Sayers, CEO and founder of Convincing Company. As a publicist, Adele landed her clients' interviews on Good Morning America, The Today Show, and The New York Times. She's also served as PR strategist, corporate counsel, and crisis management consultant for such clients as Facebook, Johnson & Johnson, Samsung, DuPont, Verizon, and President Joe Biden. Welcome, Adele. Thank you for joining me. This is so exciting. Listen to all those fancy uh, clients that you've had. I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> Thank you, Sherry. Really appreciate your time this morning. So tell, me, tell us a little bit about your background, and we'd love to hear about your encounters with uh, President Joe Biden. Sure, sure. So... Um, so I started my career um, as a journalist. Um, the first um, five years, I was a journalist for George Magazine, so John F. Kennedy Jr.'s publication um, in New York City. Um, and that was just such an exciting um, start to my career. And then ever since then, I had John F. Kennedy Jr.'s name on my resume, which was just this really fantastic conversation starter, right? Like everyone... Um, I ever interviewed was like, so did you meet him? You know, and so um, um, after I went um, into journalism, I actually went to what, what they called the dark side. And I went on Madison Avenue and I launched huge consumer brands and I worked for some of the best public relations and advertising agencies in New York City, in the world, really. Um, and I got some amazing consumer experience. And then I wanted to move to D.C. because I was like, maybe I want to be in politics, <laughs> You know, I was just kind of like, I don't know what I want to do yet. Right. I'm still in my like, like, you know, late twenties. I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. So I moved to DC. Um, and I actually stumbled into, um, associations and I worked for the national association of home builders. I actually wrote a book at the national association of home builders, but I always felt like, um, associations were a bit, slower than what I was used to as far as like the the cadence and the technology and what was going on and like um and so I wanted something a little more fast paced so I actually went back in DC to work on a case um, at a K Street big public relations firm. Um, and then um I just didn't feel like um they were servicing the associations the way they should be. And so I started my own agency and I cannot believe this but I'm gonna say it. 17 years ago. I've been in business for myself 17 years. So that's just like kind of a pinch me moment, you know, like I cannot <laughs> believe it's been that long, but yeah, I've been in business for myself 17 years and specialized in working with um, a lot of corporate clients, um, a lot of some associations, definitely we work with associations in crisis communications and in messaging. Um, and, uh, I got the chance to work, uh, with president Joe Biden, uh, right before he got the, um, the nomination to be president. Um, and I worked with him on his cancer moonshot goal, uh, with the Biden cancer initiative. And we got him 225 media placements in less wow. than two weeks. 
because I was sort of the backup, oh crap, um, PR firm. <laughs> they had gotten another one. They weren't getting them the media they wanted. Um, and so there's, there's, there's some, there's some fun story about, about how we got on that media, but anyway, yeah, it's just great. It was really fun experience to work with the president. That's great. So Adele, tell us about convincing company and how you help your clients. Yeah. So, um, actually I have the business with Chip Massey. He's a former FBI hostage negotiator and we met at an entrepreneurial dinner and I just thought, wow, I've never, um, I've never met a hostage negotiator before in real life. <laughs> kind of cool. and, and I just thought, oh my gosh, my mind is full of so many questions about how what he did as a hostage negotiator could be applicable to businesses and associations and anybody who's really ever had a corporate gig, you know, and I started asking him a bunch of questions. His stories were fascinating. He was fascinating. You know, I just, um, I, I, I wanted to meet with him again. And, um, and we talked over time. We just thought, wow, putting these two very, very different, but complementary skill sets together would just be like a fascinating offer for the market. And, um, and, and we were right because we've gotten some amazing clients. Like we have Deutsche Bank, we have, um, Goldman Sachs, we have SAP, um, we had Facebook, we have IDEO, we have just some amazing clients who want to hear really how to be more convincing and my skill set and his skill set take it from two totally different directions, but they offer such an interesting insight into in how to be convincing, how to be persuasive and influential. Wow, that's really great. So yeah. tell us a little bit like, you know, what a globally recognized publicist can teach associations about convincing techniques and how to engage and attract members. Oh gosh. Well, thank you, Sherry. Um, well, I think, you know, um, I've been, I've been working with associations for such a long time. So I really feel like I know this market and I know it well. And Sherry and I have been friends for a long time. We often talk about trends and what we see, we, we see coming in. I think the basis for associations is still about what is your message and how do I make it super clear to members about what it is I offer? Um, I think associations can kind of get lost in trying to tell their members everything that they do, that that top line message or the thing that people can agree on um, or the, the reason why people join, really. And, and that's 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 something you talk about a lot, Sherry. Right. The reason why people join is not evident on the website. It's like you can go to the website and you go what is this association about? I know the acronym. I've, I've seen it before. I know the CEO and, you know, but I don't know what they, what value they bring to me. It's not clear. Um, and I think, um, I think I can teach basically based on what I've been writing in this book, um, that's due to come out in July called convince me is being published by McGraw Hill, um, is how to be more convincing, how to be, how to be more, um, persuasive, um, with your members about how to, how to talk, how to, you know, how to convince them to, that your associations were joining, not just once, but year after year after year and, and becomes their community. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I, am thinking about to kind of what has changed in the last couple of years uh, since, you know, the pandemic and how should we be communicating differently with our audiences? 
Yeah, well, so so 40 years of research on the study of persuasion tells us something that is so counterintuitive that when I read it, I was like, ah, hmm, that doesn't seem right, right? And so essentially it's this idea that um, we should never start with our strongest point first, what we want people to believe first, which that's so counterintuitive, right? You would think, right. oh, yeah, with the thing that you like are most passionate about. And if you think about associations, that's what they usually do, right? They start out with like, we're here to help this type of profession do X, or we're here to help this type of industry do Y, right? And what the science in, um, in convincing says is you should do just the opposite, which is where are the points of agreement that you can start with? And, you know, so like, you know, you could do something like we all agree that it's important that, you know, that finance be regulated in the right way. We all agree that fintech is, um, you know, whatever it might be. Let's say you're a fintech association, right? We all agree that, um, you know, fintech needs to be regulated in the right way. And we all know that, um, you know, that that people on Capitol Hill need to have these conversations. And then you move people along their um this continuum what we call the convincing continuum and you say three three points specifically about all the things that you guys can agree on this could be applied to anyone just have to be fine as anyone you go three points three points that you know that they can agree on and then once you get to the fourth point you're starting to move people along what is like um, where they could maybe agree with you or not. So let me do this like fun experiment with you. Okay. So, okay. Um, and I'll use the moon landing cause it's a really good teaching example. So I'm going to do a, a couple of things, Sherry, and like, you know, bear with me. I'm doing many of these things on purpose. So, okay. So how sure are you on a scale of one to 100 that we landed a man on the moon? Five. 5%. <laughs> Oh, 5%? Oh, wait. I thought you meant 1 to 10. Okay, sorry. Okay, on a scale of 1 to 1. Yeah, okay. Give me your percentage. Bad example, because this is a bad example, because my daughter has watched too much social media. She's way convinced that a man never landed on the moon. So I don't know that this is a good scenario. Oh, okay, for... okay, wait, wait, wait. But bear with me. Bear with me. So, like... For the listeners, okay, so from one to ten, one to ten, how, how, five, five, okay, five. So you're like, you're, you're, you're not sure that we landed a man, okay, did Russia ever say that we landed a cosmonaut on the, uh, that they landed a cosmonaut on the moon? I don't know. Okay, so, okay, so that's two, that's two points, right? Okay, have you ever been to the desert at night? No. Okay, you've never been to the desert? You've never been to Vegas? Oh, I've been to Vegas. That doesn't seem like the desert to me, but I guess it is. <laughs> okay, right? Okay. So you've been to the desert, you've been to Vegas, and you look up at night, what do you see? Tons of stars, right? Stars. Tons of stars, yeah. because there's no water vapor, there's no, you know, there's no pollution getting in your way. You really, oh, yeah. absolutely gorgeous, and they're abundant, and you can see a ton of them, right? Yeah. Okay. So, um... So how can you explain that Neil Armstrong's taking a picture of himself on the moon and the background of it, there's absolutely no stars. 
It's just black. You that's can't. A good, that's stuff. a good question. Okay, right. So I'm sort of like right. And now, now I'm getting you to the point where you're you've got something we call FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And I'm placing these things in your mind because I want you to think about my strongest point. But I'm I can't take you there in one conversation because convincing is slow. And negotiation is fast, right? I want you to think about convincing being slow. You're not going to be able to change someone's mind in one conversation. That's just probably not going to happen, right? But you can move them along the continuum. Let's say you start with, you know, from a continuous from A to like H, right? And I start you on points A, B, and C. And so I just did, right? Like, how sure are you we landed a man on the moon, right? Okay. Um, You said five. I said um, did Russia send a man to the moon? You said, well, I don't know. Okay. So I created fear, uncertainty, and doubt in you. And now you're like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she has something else to tell me. I'm, I'm not sure about. And if you think about persuasion, um, people's certainty is one of the biggest barriers to persuading them because they're certain they're certain they believe one thing over another. Right. And so you're creating that fear, uncertainty, doubt. Then my third point was, Okay, I'm giving you information. I'm telling you I'm an expert and you might not be an expert as much as you think you are when I tell you about the stars at night and looking up at the desert. But now here's where this is what we call the convincing cliffhanger. Okay. And I just say this to you. Now I say this one thing to you and I have to stop. I have to have the discipline to stop. If I keep going down the continuum, I'm going to lose you. Okay, so I have to stop right here. And I just say this question. Has the American government ever lied to its people? And I stop, right? And I stop because everybody would agree. Well, okay, I can't possibly know everything there is to know about the moon landing. I don't know. Yeah, the American government's probably lied to its people. You know, I don't know about the the stars and the picture of the Neil Armstrong. I've given you a bunch of stuff to ponder, to think about. I've now captured your interest. And those are the listeners, right? And they're going to go look up that picture of Neil Armstrong on, on the internet. And they're going to, right? So I've moved them down the continuum where they started. Now, if I started with, we never landed a man on the moon. And that's where I start. You would never believe me. You would think I was a conspiracy theorist. You would think I'm not balanced because I just think, hey, we never landed a man on the moon but I have to stop. I have to stop because that is where I'm creating behavioral change. I'm creating your mindset change. I am making you think about something in a new way. So same thing we did with the Biden cancer moonshot goal, right? Where do I, and, and, and here's the thing I was doing this and I have been doing this in messaging for years. I just didn't realize it. Okay. So when we, so when um, president Biden came to us and we're like, Hey, we need to come up with some messaging about this. You know, we want to be like really relevant and, you know, and Biden came to us and was like, you know, we really want to push universal healthcare and, and how universal healthcare will help people get, you know, will help um, cure cancer. And we just knew after Trump had left the administration that that was just too, you know, too far down on the other side of the continuum for people to even hear what we had to say, right? So we started with the point of agreement. We've all had people we know who've been affected by cancer. 
One, the cost of cancer care is astronomical. Two, right? We need to do something to help these people get better care. That's three. And here's my moonshot goal. By 2025, we want to have $100 million dedicated to finding a cure for cancer. Now, I have to have the discipline to stop there. Now, I want to take you all the way down to tell you why, you know, I believe or not believe the fact that, you, that, that you know, universal health care would help cure cancer. But I can't take you there in one conversation. So I've got to give you something to ponder. I've got to give you something to think about. Think about things that you've never thought about in the way I position it. And that's how associations have to pull people into their messaging. Our messaging for a lot of associations is so flat and it doesn't really get people to like want to explore or think about things in an interesting way or press um, for solutions. The association has the answers to. That's the thing. I mean, associations are amazing. They do so many incredible things and they're just not making their messaging interesting enough to pull members in and keep them persuaded and influenced by what it is they have to say. Anyway. That's that's great. That's that's very interesting because it's so funny as you're talking, I was like, yeah, the first time Sarah said to me, she's like, mom, you know, there wasn't a, no, a man didn't land on the moon. I was like, whatever, Sarah. But over time, she's so convinced of it. The little by little, she would come up with examples as you kind of like, you did it in one sitting, right? Where she did it over time. And now I'm like, I don't know, Adele, it's a five. I don't know. I don't know. This is what I was told. This is what my smart 16 year old is saying. I don't know. <laughs> Right. But the funny part is like, I did this experiment with my mom, right. Who's like in her eighties. And like, she's just like, I remember when I watched that on television and, you know, and so, and, and, but then I started like, I started questioning the things that she saw. And I was like, what did you really see mom? Hey, you know, we were in the middle of the cold war. Like Russia had nuclear weapons pointing towards us. We needed to show technological advancement. So of course we faked the moon landing, whatever. I mean, but I'm not going to my mom was like, no, I saw him land there. I'm not, I don't believe right. right? You can't start with your strongest point. You have to start with the point everyone can agree on. So we actually did this for an association called um, the infectious disease society of America. And we did it. Um, based on Lyme disease and they do Lyme disease guidelines and they put them out all the time. And what happens was is every single year they put out these guidelines, or I think it's like every three years or whatever, they put out the guidelines. Patients would get so upset because their care, their doctor's appointments, what it is they did, it would change what they were able to get insurance coverage for. And so they would be so up in arms and so livid every single time these guidelines came in, they would protest outside of IDSA's office. Like it was really, really, you know, horrible for them. And when they brought us in, we did this technique. I didn't know we did this technique, but we did this technique. And I said, what is the one point of agreement? Everyone, patients, doctors, IDSA, anybody who's written this, what's the one point of agreement? And what the one point of agreement was is that they they need more funding for better research about the disease. It wasn't well-researched and everyone could agree to that. And once we started the guideline conversation, 
on that latitude of agreement, those first couple things people could all agree on, people stopped protesting. I just, they didn't seem like the bad guy anymore, right? We just move them down the continuum. And it's like, this is what, yeah, IDSA is behind helping you get a better, a, a better form of care. We're helping, you know, we, we believe in like all these other infectious diseases. Why would we believe in Lyme disease, right? It's, it's just about moving people along. And I think associations want to do it so fast, or they just want to show all the ways at which they can help the member that they miss the point of being super persuasive and really influential in the way that research science says works. Wow, that is so interesting. Really? So tell, I guess, you know, Adele, what are you talked about, you know, challenges with associations. Can you talk just a little more about, you know, what are, do you see our challenges today and what are some opportunities for organizations? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I find kind of fascinating is this idea of um, associations being able to start their own trends. And this is kind of a big, this is kind of a big idea, right? And we we have this actually in the book. Um, uh, and this is the chapter I just edited. So it's like very fresh in my mind, right? But essentially, you know, I think one of the things that I've done as a publicist over the course of my 20 year career is I've created like, I don't know, 40, 50 trends that like, you know, either in consumer marketing and associations and a number of different ways. And creating a trend is so much easier than people think. Um, and, and there's a framework to do it. And associations are positioned so well to be the ones to create trends in their own industries. And they do not do it. Um, they, they're afraid that they're going to like the, the, the one trend might make that one or 10 members angry when really 90% of the members believe the other part of the trend that you're going to predict, right? So um, one trend framework I've, I've given a lot of associations and I think is so good and so, and so smart and like definitely something that associations can be so um, convincing about would be in the past. So in the past, we've seen the following things. We've, we've seen these different things go down in, in our industry, in our profession. This is, this is what people used to believe. Now, people believe something different. And as an association, because I have all this research, I have all this data, I have all this good, you know, good information that only I can get because I'm an association. Now, what we're seeing is these three things. And let's say there's some data points that you're pulling from some poll or, or, or benchmarking report that the association does. And, and you're putting three pieces of really smart information that only you would know, right? And then you say, in the future, here's what's going to happen. And you name the trend, something cute, something repeatable, something interesting, right? And you own the trend. This is what most people get wrong. This is what most people get wrong. They don't own the trend themselves. They just say, this is the trend that I'm seeing but they don't take credit for it. They don't, they don't actually name the trend and say, hey, I'm the one that came up with that trend. They don't do that. But we actually re- um, interviewed uh, Joe Polizzi. Joe Polizzi actually created something called Content Marketing World. 
right? Mm -hmm. And and he sold it for $17.6 million. And he did it based on what I'm telling you right here, this framework, this framework, he used this framework to, to sell his conference. And the reason why, when content market, he created, he coined the term content marketing. He was going around initially before he started the conference, he was going around to different CMOs and he was saying, you know, CEOs, CMOs, things like that. People in the marketing perspective. So what, what are you really concerned about right now? And they, and they say, you know, a lot of, a lot of people say we're supposed to create, a, we're supposed to be a media company. You know, our, our businesses are supposed to become media companies. Our brands are supposed to be media companies. And Joe was like, okay, well, that's an interesting idea. He's like, I think we should call that thing content marketing. Then he goes out, he says, I came up with this term called content marketing. He puts it on Wikipedia. He goes in industry trade press. He tells a whole bunch of people about this term. He creates a conference and the first conference sells out and the second conference sells out and the third conference sells out and so on and so forth. And he creates a movement. But he, the whole entire time, was saying, I'm the one who created this trend. I'm the one who named this part of marketing. And how influential is he because of how he did it? Most people don't name the trend or take credit or promote that they named it. They just come up with the idea. Like, I see you nodding because I know, I know you're one of these people that comes up with trends all the time, (laughs) right? You're totally a trend spotter, aren't you, Cher? Yeah, but I don't own it. (laughs) That is half the battle. Think about how many people in an association or in the association itself who who can see because you are around members, you are in an industry, you are ingrained in that industry. You see trends all the time. As even as a staff member, you're like, oh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Oh, yeah, I see this coming around the corner. These three, three of our biggest members are doing this. This has got to be something that everybody else is going to do. And you never name it, own it, back it up with research. That is the biggest yeah. opportunity. And let's I have do, tons of other frameworks for let's for, do that, Adele, and sell for $17 million. <laughs> Right. I have made a lot of other people rich. <laughs> right. But I mean, like, that's the thing. I mean, I just think you have to own, you have to, you have to find a trend, which is not hard for associations. They are there. They are right there in your grasp. You have to have data that picks it up because you know what? The media don't want stories. The media don't want new stories. They want new data. That's what they want. Hmm. And, um, and then you name that trend and you own that trend. Associations can do this. This is so right there for them. It's it exciting. is. It is. You know, it's very cool. I mean, very so really like cool to think about because you're right. Like it's right there, and we're not taking advantage of it like we could. I guess everyone's going to have to get your book and learn how to do this. <laughs> this is what they're going to have to do. Thank you. Thank you. So, tell me a little bit. Do you feel like? PR public relations industry is, has had any big shifts and things that we should be aware of? Yeah. You know what? I don't consider myself, um, while my background is in PR, I think, I think I'm more of a, you know, of an entrepreneur of a business strategist with a PR problem. I think that's like, <laughs> I look at it through the lens. I, uh, you know, I look at it through a lens of communications and marketing and it's just because that's where, you know, that's where I came from. But I feel like, 
um, you know, uh, there's much more business strategy around PR. And I think um, it's too limiting. I think PR for me is too limiting. So I think it's more about how do you become, how do you become persuasive? How do you become more influential? And, and PR is a tool in the toolbox. But um, what I've seen is this, and, and, and this I find really fascinating, right? I think most of us, um, and research, research backs this up, most of us use the same persuasion techniques that we learned in the third grade. And we don't use any other persuasion techniques other than the ones that have worked with us, worked for us then. Because as an adult, it is too risky. It feels way too risky to try a new persuasion technique. Who are you going to try it on? Your business partner, your spouse, your clients. That's that's risky. It's risky to try new persuasion techniques, new influence techniques, right? So we stick with the stuff we know and we're only moderately convincing because we're not really willing to expand our toolbox, even though there are so many cool things out there. Like um, when I um, when I was in high school, I had, um, uh, I think I started telling you this, but this is kind of a fun story. When I was in high school, I had this crazy English teacher and she invited a, um, a fortune teller into our classroom, right? And the fortune teller zoned right in on me, you know, the chubby Italian girl. And she's just like, I see, I see your father, uh, a father figure. She said, I see a father figure with pain in his chest. And his letter starts with the name J. And oh, oh my God, I was so touched by this because my dad had just had triple bypass surgery. Okay, that could be from all the meatballs my mom would make him. <laughs> but okay, right? But I was like, oh my God, this woman's like, she knows something about me, right? It's so interesting. And so when we started writing the book, Chip and I, and I thought, who are some of the most convincing people on the planet? I said, fortune tellers. I mean, within an hour or even 15 minutes. Yeah. They tell you things that, you know, you would never think anybody else would know. And so you're, you don't understand why they know it. And so you think it's a mystical power. What they're doing is something called predictive statements. And this is something that anybody in business, this is a convincing technique. This is never something you would have learned, right? In third grade, but this is something anyone can use. And here's an example. You have an enormous amount of untapped potential. Now, if I just stop and I don't tell you what I think your untapped potential is, what will you tell me? That I have untapped potential. <laughs> and you're going to tell me what is that? What, what is, is that untapped potential? And what right? is it? Yeah. You're going to fill it in for me. Imagine being a boss. And saying something like that to someone, you have an enormous amount of untapped potential, but I don't know what motivates them. I'm not quite sure what they want to learn. And then they go, you know, I do have an enormous amount of untapped potential. And I've always wanted to do membership marketing. And I've always wanted to run a part of the event. And, oh, I've always wanted to speak on the stage. Now, what you have as a boss is their deepest desire that they wouldn't have otherwise shared with you if you didn't say this predictive statement. And there's tons of other ones, right? There's tons of other statements that psychics use to draw out 
information from you. Oh, you know, I see. And just like they did with me in that class now. Okay. So my dad's name is John, right? And the biggest killer of men is heart disease. I mean, none of like that whole idea of like J and like she could have said J and M. Well, those are the two most common names for men. And heart disease is the biggest killer of men. She was just basically making these broad statements and convinced me that she knew more than she did. And, and, and it may seem manipulative and maybe it is a little bit. But it's okay if you're getting information so that you can help them further along in their career. But there's tons and tons of different skill sets like this that exist. We haven't ever tapped into just because we don't know them. That's that's some that's very interesting, Adele. I'm I'm like I'm really getting excited about. I don't know if I can wait until uh, what you I say July. I'm going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. This is fascinating. It is fun. It is great. Um, So I guess, how would you like to see associations evolve in the future? I'd love for them to be the arbiter of trends. I think that is what associations should do. I mean, this is such a huge missed opportunity for associations. Why Why don't they predict trends all the time? And here's the best part about the trend thing. Even if they're wrong, Nobody goes back the next year and goes, oh, yep, sorry, that didn't happen. You never get called on it. You could be wrong every single year. People just want to know what you think may be occurring. And that knowledge that associations have, it's just not being put to good use. Yeah, it's not. It really isn't. And it, it is It's really interesting to think about because you're talking, I'm like, is it because we're too conservative? Is it because... You know, we don't have the right talent that we're thinking about these things. Is it just, I don't know, like, I don't know. It's going to give me some food for thought here uh, the rest of today, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is, is that, you know, I think associations are all about, um, you know, group satisfaction, group you know, everyone is happy. Everyone is happy. So if one trend doesn't work for one member, then they throw it out. It's like, okay, it can't work. That is not how, how good businesses that are pushing the envelope behave, right? Right. Right. Push that envelope further down. Right. So you've got to keep going. I mean, listen, you're not going to please everyone all the time. It's okay. They're still going to come back. And they'll probably even change their business based on the trend because, you know, you're always going to get a couple of people who are going to be unhappy. You can plan for those unhappy people. You can have a communication strategy. You can have a marketing strategy. You can get them involved in the developing of the trends. But that does not mean they should rule what your entire association puts out there. And yeah. I think that's what a lot of associations do. They associations answer do that a lot. Mm-hmm. That very vocal 10% where 90% are not being serviced um, because they don't want to, they don't want to upset the, uh, the angry members, those trolls that come on and just really make your life hell, but there's a way to plan for those people. Yeah. So anything else before we wrap up today, Adal, that you'd like to, to share with our audience? This has been like some great advice. I'm like, this is very, very exciting. Gives me a lot of food for thought today. (laughs) 
Thanks. I mean, I just think like, I'd love to just delve in a little bit, Sherry, and I, and I love your perspective on this, right? Um, because you guys are so technology heavy and focused in, in, in what it is you guys offer associations. What I would say is, um, you know, and I think Kevin is very well versed in this and like so many other people like you employ are, but, but one of the trends I think I see in associations and just this is in general for employees is it is so hard to use technology at work. It is so much harder than anything you use as a consumer, right? Think about how easy it is to order things on Amazon. <clears throat> and, 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 and listen, the thing that speeds up your ability to convince people quickly, that continuum we talked about, right? That you can, that it's very hard to change someone's mind in one sitting. The one thing that is a persuader's best friend is a crisis. It speeds things up. It speeds adoption up. It speeds, right? So like, think about it in COVID-19. Um, yeah. what, what did we do? We started ordering our groceries online. We started ordering our food contact list delivery. We started doing things that we started wearing masks within a week, two weeks, mass, mass adoption of, of these things that seemed impossible the two weeks before, right? We had mass adoption because crisis is a persuader's best friend. So you're able to move people down the continuum so much faster. And what I would say is associations have to make it so whatever whatever interaction people have with their with their website, with their apps, with their whatever, it has to be as easy or better than anything they will see and use as a consumer. If not, they're kind of out of the game. Yeah. Well, I say that all the time. Like I always say to organizations, like who is in charge of your online user experience? That's not necessarily marketing. It could be not necessarily IT. Like who is the person that's making sure that everything is working, not only working, but it is easy to consume or easy to engage, easy to transact, whatever words you want to use with your, you know, with your member, with your audience, whatever it might be. Because I mean, even myself, and I went to join an association, I don't know, it was six months or so ago. And it was one evening and it was like, the money was nothing. It was like a hundred bucks or something. I went to log in. I had to create a profile. I had to do all these things. And then it didn't work. I never went back. Right. I never went back. I don't have, I didn't, I was thinking about it at the moment. And that was that. So. And you're I, like a highly engaged type of member, right? Like if you started to become a member of that association, I mean, like you would get involved, you would volunteer, you would go to the events. I mean, like what a huge loss. Yeah. In and it, it being so difficult. Yeah. And it was a moment, right? And then the moment passed, be bye, um, <laughs> as they would say. But the other thing too, if we look at, um, as most of the audience knows, I have a 16-year-old and 21-year-old, and I'm looking at how they're engaging with media. And um, it's it's interesting. They do feel like they can learn anything they want on Google, um, on YouTube, actually. 
they were like, you can just YouTube it. My eight-year-old feel the same. I mean, like, they're just like, oh, it's on, it's on, it's on YouTube. Yeah. Just <laughs> mom, YouTube it. I'm like, okay. Or TikTok. Um, but, so like, yeah. Or TikTok. <laughs> and we are doing um, interviews with doctors and, and different constituencies about website engagement and things with associations. That's what we do. And we're seeing, we heard from a couple young physicians. They said, well, we're not going to the association to read the guidelines of care. This is really kind of scary, but read the guidelines of care. We're following these couple doctors on TikTok. I'm like, my team told me that. I was like, that can't be true. (laughs) I was like, give me those names. Like, this can't be true. So I started following these docs on TikTok. And yeah, I mean, they're this. You know, it may seem silly to folks, but TikTok's not just about, you know, a silly dance. I mean, the ones, people that are in companies that are engaging with content, yeah. that's, you know, that's where this, the younger generations are. And so we all worry about, you know, how do we engage with the younger generation? Well, you got to be there. I think so. And it's like, and it's like what we talked about with the 40 years of research for, for persuasion. TikTok is awesome because you're seeing all these like little blip messages over time. It's yeah. over time and they're taking you down their continuum, right? And then they're like, yeah. hey, go to this, go to this journal for more information. Go to these guidelines for more information. And they're creating that convincing cliffhanger we talked about, right? And it's yeah. like they're going, it's driving traffic to medical association websites and they don't even know it. Yeah. They don't even know it or they do know it and they're just not utilizing it. Right. They're not catching up. Um, I would love to see associations be more, you know, um, be more cutting edge, be more, um, you know, know that, Hey, they're sending people here. These four doctors are really influential and they're sending people here. Yeah. Are they the most credentialed? Are they the most experienced? No, they're the most nice looking. They're the most convincing. They're the most persuasive. But you know what? They're sending 60% of the traffic to your website. They're not someone to be ignored, right? right? I mean, I just think the shifting of the old guard is sort of like, it's just always been a tough thing for associations to do. Um, well, and I would challenge people to do like, I just I kind of start, I started following people that I thought were really good marketers on TikTok. And then I signed up for whatever their emails. And I'm like, studying like what they're doing because you're right these are folks that are very convincing and and the end game I'm following this this one guy that's you know gonna make you millions and millions of dollars whatever but um he's got really good content online like you said it's like two minutes very convincing you sign up for his emails which he's trying to get me every day to go to his conference and, and start Right. Engaging in, and it's, I mean, it's really great stuff. Right. So, you know, so I, like I said, I would challenge people, like try to follow those people, see what they're doing. And, and, and this sounds uh, like such a weird example, Sherry. And this is, I, we can say this for the recording or not, but I, I, I love this example. To me, this is like such interesting marketing. Right. And I would never as a marketer, you know, I'm like in, in my forties, I would never think, okay, yes, this would work or this would be interesting. Okay. But let me give you an example. And then let me tell you what an application could be for an association. So you're on Instagram and you're looking at your horoscope, which by the way, is all about predictive statements. 
<laughs> so the stuff that we talked about earlier, that horoscopes are all predictive statements, right? And like, it's all stuff you can learn how to do. Um, uh, but they have horoscopes. And so I'm a Sagittarius. And so like, I'm looking at my, at the list of, of, of horoscopes and, um, the list of horoscopes says, um, really fast, um, you know, what your best talent is really fast. It flashes like 10 seconds. So you have to watch this. You are forced to watch this. If you want to know what your best talent is and okay, I'm in, I'm all in. Like, what is my best talent? I have to take a screenshot of, of the, of the page to see, because it only flashes for a second, what my talent is. Right. And so now I have to watch it. I have to watch it several times. So then I've got my page views, right? It is, and I'm interested. I've got that cliffhanger. I want to know what is my talent? What's the freaking payoff, right? I want to know. And I have to take a screenshot of it. How effective is that? You've had me on the page a while, right? I really am engaged in your content and it's a flash, um, but I'm in, I'm all in. Associations could do all kinds of fun things. Like, you know, um, if you want to see what kind of FinTech person you are, look here. And then like what, it could just be like a flash of something. And then people have to engage. They have to pay attention. They have to zone in on your content. I mean, who would think to do that 15 years ago, five years ago? It's such a weird concept, yeah. but it makes you think of that thing all day long. Yeah. It becomes so much more um, of a better piece of content than anything else you've seen in that day because you had to make a little bit more effort to get that information. And so sometimes the effort could actually pull people in. So there's like, there's two sides of that coin of the technology we were just talking about. One is how do you make it super easy so that consumers can like have the same type of technological experience they can have, um, you know, like Amazon, like the Netflix, like, right. But then right. the flip side of the coin is what are they willing to invest in? just a little bit more than other pieces of content. And that is content you zone in on. Um, and most associations are not thinking about content in that way. What are those pieces that are what people are willing to invest more? They're, they're willing to watch 10, oh, 10 videos about. They're willing to you know click on 17 emails. They're willing to go to three different conferences about because that is the thing that is important to them. That's some great advice. Yeah. I wish this could flash of that thing. I was like, that's what I thought of when I saw it. I was like, damn, that is so good. Like, <laughs> what is my flash piece of content? What is my Sagittarius moment? Whatever. I mean, like, who cares? But like you said, each of these TikTok people, each of these Instagrammers that are really, really good at pulling people in can teach your association so much about business strategy, not even about marketing. It's about business. Yeah. Strategy. yeah. Who are those? Who are those influencers in your organization? Yeah. I'm sure there's some in every single one. Or who are right? slightly adjacent, right? Yeah. They're slightly yeah. adjacent. They're, like you said, the doctors that are weirdly pulling people into your guidelines. Yeah. Who are those people? Yeah. Study. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks Adele. This has been great. I could talk to you all day. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> my 
I'm sure our listeners are I'd like to thank our listeners um, for hanging in with us today um, and hope everybody enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed talking with Adele today. So where um, can they contact you if somebody wants to get more information from you? Sure. Go to convincingcompany.com um, or Adele at convincingcompany.com. And uh, yeah, please get some information. We offer trainings. We offer all kinds of um you know, fun consultative packages, we can teach your team how to be more persuasive and how to get more deals, how to maintain members. It's just really fun. Great. Well, thank you so much, Adele. I appreciate your time today. Thanks, Sherry. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. Dot.org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your organization on track to Association 4.0.